And now, Podtendo presents the final Fantasy VII retrospective, where we are going to do a deep dive into characters, thematical elements, and the plot. Please enjoy. Welcome to the last episode of the Podtendo Final Fantasy VII Retrospective, which has been spanning the year of 2020. Maybe it put a terrible curse on the world, and this podcast alone is responsible for all the hardships. And we're not going to say sorry, because it was worth it. You know, as a fun adventure journey through this epic video game series. I am your co-host, Mick, and I can be joined every episode by my lovely co-host. Tyson. Good stuff, good stuff. So that's it. It's a good feeling to almost be over, eh? Yeah, yeah. Feels like it tapered off on the quality. Um, yeah. But yeah. we uh, that's what kind of happens when things get made years after they are popular. And it's kind of like a, many, many years later, this is what happens. And you're like, yeah. Hmm. So, and I feel like when a lot of people, the original creators aren't directly involved, sometimes it can kind of lose the uh, essence of what it, what, what it's trying to tell you. But yeah, um, but we got an interesting movie on our hands today. That's it, that's it. So we're going to kind of do this review in terms of side quest cinema. So it's not a game. We've only been playing games. We're going to look at the cinematic experience Final Fantasy VII Advent Children today. So the vital stats for this game, or movie, sorry, are the release date was September 14th, 2005. The runtime was 101 minutes. The budget was $137 million. The box office, it grossed about $58 million on DVD sales by May of 2006 and $85 million in total. So a little bit of a bomb. Director was Tatsui Namoro, produced by... Yoshinori Katsa, uh, Shinji Hasamoto, and Ichiro Hazama. The cast included Takahiro Sakurai, hmm, sounds like an interesting name, or Voice Burton, that's the voice of Cloud, uh, Amuni Ito, or Rachel Lee Cook for Tifa, and then hmm, Kenchi Su- Sumarazu? No, Suzamara. Hmm. Mina Suvari as Eris. And I was like, oh, that's the girl from... Was she an American Pie? Maybe. American Beauty? So. That girl. She was Eris. So, there you go. Interesting. Yeah. Um, kind of makes sense to see that this bombed. Um, that yeah. is way too much money to spend on this um, extended CGI, CGI sequence in, a, in uh, the show. Yes. So. Well, especially if you were just showing and not telling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, geez, this is that budget. I'd like to see where uh, all that money got spent. And I, I seem, I think I have a, a sneaking suspicion. I know exactly where it went. And it was a certain scene near the end yeah. that they went whole hog on. And I appreciate that. But man, you got a whole movie to fill. 
yes, that, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it, <laughs> but I kind of feel like Tyson maybe has s- similar experience as myself re-watching this film, assuming you've seen it before. So, uh, the development details of this. Uh, Advent Children began, began as a short film. It was developed as part of the compilation of Final Fantasy VII, a set of different media content intended to expand upon the world of Final Fantasy VII. In early production, the team thought about making Advent Children into a game. The production company, Visual Works, had no game experience, so they stuck with making it into a film. The film was planned to focus on the characters of Tifa and Cloud, in a similar way to how other titles from the compilation centered around certain characters. The plot, or the original plot, was Tifa trying to relay a message to Cloud. Nomuro and Nozu, who first worked together on Kingdom Hearts, split the role of director. The hardest battle they had to plan out was Cloud's group versus Bahamut, since they had to work on a lot uh, on angles and the different scale. The staff discovered it was impossible to directly translate the Final Fantasy character designs into the film series. Sorry, Final Fantasy VII character designs into the film. Thus, some identifying characteristics had to be discarded. Their difficulty making Sephiroth led the staff to reduce his role in the film. They also struggled with Tifa's body, since she should be balanced, yet show off her feminine qualities. Makes sense. Just want big, two big boobs floating around. Rather than creating a film more than... Oh, shoot. Rather than create a film more... Most scenes are explained. Mm, mm, Alright, not sure what that sentence was to say. Uh, the staff wanted viewers to be able to interpret the scenes on their own. One of the film's themes is survival, represented by a gray wolf that appears whenever Cloud thinks about Zack and Aerith. The wolf disappears at the end of the film since Cloud has finally come to terms with his feelings. How are those for some fun, fun development details? That's a lot of details. Um, it makes sense that this was started as a short um, because it feels like a short. There's no plot to it. And essentially, that's exactly what happened because they were like, let's just make stuff happen and then people can interpret it the way they want to. But then they realized that doesn't work as a narrative. So then they had to just explain it um, instead of just having it set up, which is why when you watch this, get used to hearing that kid's voiceover or Tifa's voiceover or Cloud's voiceover or that other character's voiceover. Basically, a lot of people just monologuing, and this is the epitome of tell, don't, show, because why would you follow the simple, basic part of making a movie or a short, and it's show, don't, tell? Like, you don't need dialogue in a Final Fantasy thing. You literally just need to have, like, the character's... Yeah. Like just yeah. be there. Then like well, you can get a lo- get away with a Barrett smile or like a Sid's thumbs up or whatever. Like you, you can yeah. there's so much to interpret. I feel like they just box themselves in the corner and maybe um instead of hiring like I feel like this was one of those things where there was a job posting and something some people applied. And instead of having that be the case, maybe you should have had it like somebody that had a vision for something and then invest in that. But. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, how did you watch this movie? Um, so myself, I, I bought uh, one of the like did anniversary collection, ten year anniversary Blu-rays, which was expanded. So, my the version I watched actually had an extra thirty minutes of additional footage. So it was about two hours long. 
I don't know where the other footage comes into, but I watched some extra scenes. There's nothing great. They're just like, Final Fantasy VII is great, so we made a movie. That was it. Literally it. Yeah. I uh, found it. Uh, I, I streamed it. And okay. yeah, I watched the, the full version. Um, mm. And I, I think I think because I, I, I guess I have a really good memory because I remember being obsessed with this when it first first came out and watching it at our uh, friend's house in Fernie. And like like the day it came out or the two days after it came out and we all like sat around a, t- or a monitor and watched it. And uh, yeah, I know where some of the additional layers are and it's essentially there to just actually flush this out into a story because the original cut is really rough. This is one of those yeah. times where uh, it makes sense that they, they, they expanded to it because the there's not a story there. They're, they're the skeleton of, of plots and things that and events that happen and yeah. you need that exposition. You need that dialogue. You need those extra scenes to just kind of make sense of why did that happen and now that's happening or why are these characters now happy when they should be sad or yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's interesting. Cool, nice. Okay, uh, well, let's go into our Podtendo's terrible patented plot summary. Catch everyone up to speed so you all know what we're happy about with this film, and then we can kind of look at the other things that we used to do with our side quest cinemas. Cool. So on to terrible plot summary. So two years after Meteor Fall, we are introduced to the city of Edge. Some of our cast and the New World Crisis, Geostigma, a disease that has infected the population. Cloud is attacked by a man named Kajal. Uh, I think I said that wrong. Visit, he visits President Rufus Shinra and learns that Sephiroth is somehow behind Geostigma. After some children are abducted, Cloud tries to rescue them, is saved by Vincent, and heads back to Edge. Here we see Kajal's gang is attacking the citizens while looking for Genova. The band reunites, fights Bahamut, sees Kajal get Genova's head and are involved in a motorcycle chase, a fight with Kajal, and a final fight with Sephiroth before Eris heals everyone. Yeah. Um, oh my goodness. If you did a good job of cleaning up a lot of the uh, gobbledygook and the That's what I do. disjointedness of... Oh, believe me, what... after doing all the Star Wars movies, this was easy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, I still feel sorry for you having to summarize some of those things. Um, dang, yeah, but still, like this, that if that summary seems disjointed and not like there's the through line and a and a connected tissue to anything, yeah, just just try watching it. Yeah, so like, so we like to at some point we ask the story storytelling. So we like we like good stories, we like narratives, and normally they follow a kind of a set structure, right? So with storytelling, we like to look at the introduction. So in my mind, that's the introduction of our heroes. The inciting incident is learning that Sephiroth is somehow involved with Geostigma. The rising action is the kids being abducted, the fight in Edge, and the battle with Kajel. I guess without really ever learning if Sephiroth was involved with Geostigma, which is weird. It is kind of like this is my theory. What's happening? And it's fact. Anyways, and the climax is Sephiroth's rebirth and the battle with Cloud, which might have taken up a lot of money. And the conclusion is Cloud using Omni Slash to defeat Sephiroth and Aerith healing everyone. Yeah. Um, it, it really feels like this was just random scenes pieced together. So it doesn't. So when you're like, yeah, I guess if we didn't learn about Sephiroth's involvement in Geostigma in that one exposition conversation between Rufus and Cloud, I think it is. And yeah. it's it's just like, 
without that exposition dump, do we know what's happening in the movie? Not really. And it's like, that's bad. That's a bad, you're, you're 20 minutes into this and you're already kind of hitting your, your foot, like your head on the door. So, uh, it's, we're starting to see some, some problems with making a movie with the idea of, let's just let it leave the interpretation up to the, up to the audience. But then going back and trying to piece together a story because you didn't actually have a story yourself. You just made scenes. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Although, I, after reading it, because I remember there was this gray wolf that I kept seeing. And I was like, what is that? What is that gray wolf supposed to be? Uh, so be looking at the film's major overarching themes. So just like the whole Final Fantasy VII series. So life, death, rebirth, and survival. And I thought that was so interesting. And of course, every time you see the wolf, you see him where uh, Zack died upon the cliffs of Midgar. You saw him at the ancient city where he uh, laid Aerith to death, like to, to rest, right? In the church. And it's just all these things that kind of reminded him of his lost friends. And I was like, hmm, that's actually almost like clever and almost good movie making in a bad movie. And I was like, that's not my favorite part. I'm not in the review yet, but I was like, all right gray wolf that's that's interesting i like that good job yeah it's a neat little twist and i like that's that's a that that shows that somebody behind the scenes like i'm sure these directors like they clearly are capable because like that that that's a clever thing to do um so it shows that there is some talent behind the scenes it just i think if this was just storyboarded for like another few like a month or two well they just like hammered out how this should shake out and I think one of my deleted lines, that that awkward line I tried to read in development details, was saying that unlike Hollywood films, where the movie's kind of explained to the audience, this one was left a little bit more open to interpretation. So you're like, eh, okay, interesting. But that also sounds kind of like a cop-out. But anyways, let's get into the review of this movie and see where our minds are at. So we start out with, what's our favorite part of the movie? So, uh, so I said I love the look of the city Edge. Uh, it's very kind of postmodern in design, and you could tell that these people were clinging to the past so desperately. They wanted to make it just the next Midgar rather than kind of moving on to the more uh, simple village life that we saw in Calm, say in the beginning of Dirge of Cerberus. Uh, and just the despair that we see uh, when we see these sick people on the streets and they're coughing up blood. It just makes the world feel so real, and then it just kind of doesn't do anything with this world that it builds. Like the first five minutes, I put my phone down and i was like i'm in this is okay you're telling me a story i'm in 100 percent. and then i got bored that's not a good sign yeah and like the atmosphere the sound design like you feel like you're back in that world um and the some of the characters like the villains are creepy and they're like have like this like weird spin to them so they kind of like they seem like not like almost ethereal, not not quite human, but not quite something else. Like it's, and they're just like they have the way they talk to one another and the way they interact feels very um, otherworldly and and just different and strange. And it's like it, it's it's good. Um, I love the atmosphere. Like that's that is so cool to be just feel like you're back. And you're seeing the characters that you you love, and they feel like really characters. Like, um, I didn't touch on this in the in development details, but the redesigns of the characters into making them more uh, realistic and um, more based in you, you not a ridiculous proportions. Yeah. Um, looking at you, Tifa, I think is is so nice and so well done, and, and handled with a 
bit more like a fair amount of respect like nobody's like you watch some of those cgi scenes from the like playstation era and you're just like i see that they worked really hard on the boob physics but they didn't yeah. care to figure out how to stop that clipping happening in the background yeah. um whereas here it's like there's no clipping perfect you when you people hit each other and people get like punched or smashed and like the like the visual uh fight fight scenes of it is just like it's visceral it feels like two people are smashing into each other like the actual atmosphere that they build is fantastic like you you feel invested um and then the people start talking and you start trying to piece together what the story is and falls apart yeah i mean i have a theory i want to talk about that now hmm Let's keep going. Anyways, what's our most notable scene or part of this movie? So maybe you saw it years ago with some friends in high school. What part are you like, oh, I remember that. So my options, because uh, apparently I do lists now, is the 3D rendering of our fa- favorite characters, like Tyson just mentioned, the final battle between Cloud and Sephiroth, the Shara airship, I recognized it from Dirge Cerberus, or the obvious cool catchphrase, Dilly Dally, Silly Sally. Cringe. Um... I'll add another one in there. The Tifa fight. That's a fantastic fight. That feels rocking. Like, that is a hardcore scene. I love that. That is an yeah. awesome scene. Um, yeah. yeah. That one's... I like that one. Um, that one's... Vincent moving through the trees is pretty cool. The way, like, his cloak almost kind of flows. And it's, like, part of him. It's like a spawn cloak. Like, there are some really cool parts of this. And then... Yeah. Then they start talking. Know. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, do you have a... Do we have a pick? I'm going to go... Yeah, you got to go with the Sapphire scene. That one's mine. Yeah. yeah. Like, that one's just like the... That one, that one uh, one-winged angel song hits. You're just like, oh, man. Like, hair stands yeah. up in the back of your neck. And you're like, okay, it's good. It's about to get good. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, it's our least favorite part. So, we'll be a little negative here. The least favorite part of this film. Uh, so, I said the plot. If there's a plot. Uh, yes, it looks pretty it's very very shallow i actually hated the action set pieces in this film that motorcycle chase was awful they're fighting on motorcycles they're flipping around they're shooting at each other there seems to be little to no consequences they get blown up they're still alive they keep going uh they just were not entertaining in the slightest there was two fight scenes the tifa fight scene and the sephiroth site we've already cited awesome cool great but other than that like the action pieces i didn't care Oh yeah, um, but you know what? Actually, uh, uh, the the Reno and Rufus, no, Reno and Rude fight scene, kind of fun because they're kind of like kooky and like they have lots of personality and they're showing off. But also, like the, the Turks are way too involved in this film. I'm like, why the heck am I still watching the Turks fight? Like, where the freaks? I'll even take Yuffie and Kate Sith at this point. You know, like yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And like some of the Turks are like, you got rid of the good ones. Why are you leaving yeah. me with these two duds? Yeah. Uh, like, it's just it's um, very strange. So, what's your yeah. least favorite part of this movie? Oh, God. Um, there is a lot of issues with this movie. A lot of issues. Like, the script, the dialogue to each other, the dilly-dally, silly-sally. This movie, whenever people open their mouth or talk, it is just cringe-inducing because it's like everybody's trying to be, like, edgy and hardcore. And then they try to make, like, awkward jokes and be, like, lighthearted. And they're just like... The tone of this is bad. It's like it's written poorly. It like the characters don't feel natural. Like the, and that motorcycle scene is when I was talking about when people fight, like the Tifa 
fight scene is is good. It makes him, yeah. makes you feel like when people hit each other and they're thrown back into a wall, like there's physics. And then people are doing like 360s, 720s on, on motorcycles, just ripping down a road and there's rocks everywhere, but they don't hit a single one and they don't have physics. It literally feels so orchestrated and painful that you might as well had them just like on ice doing a, like a, a routine from a like a like a Disney play on ice. Like it was just felt yeah. fake. And um, so, but my I, least favorite thing is the Bahama fight. It goes on and on and on, and I'm not interested. And the explosions yeah. are black, and it's just like get on with it. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, I, I, so I'm gonna I have a theory, or I'll just throw this out before we get into our, our, our criticism, just break up the negativity a little bit. Uh, I do feel like the people that made this movie knew they weren't really making a movie uh they they knew they had probably certain set pieces they obviously worked on the fights and they looked good like again the tifa fight that looks fine i'm sure there's an audience out there that ate up the motorcycle scene and they're like that was cool man remember that time he cut the motorcycle and he like threw the guy in between the two parts and it blew up great i'm sure that works for someone uh and it's just those in between like tyson said there's no dialogue the dialogue in this movie awful I don't even call it dialogues movie. Like it's it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. So I, I do think that the people that made this movie knew they weren't making a movie. There wasn't a director out there. He's like, hmm, I've got a vision. It was okay. We're gonna pay you to make this movie. This is what we want. Go. You know, like they were like, okay, we'll, we'll try our best. You're not giving us lots to work on, but sure. Also, we're not really sure how CGI works, but anyway. So on to our criticism. So it doesn't seem. And, and you can, Jason, do you agree or disagree with that point? I agree. I very much okay. agree. Yeah. It's a, yeah. yeah. Okay, sorry. Anyways, criticism. So it, it seems like they didn't have a story to tell. They knew they wanted some fights and Sephiroth had to be in it. So they just created a weak narrative to bring him back. Eh, like we've been kind of saying. It's plain. Although, granted, for 2005, this movie looks unbelievable. Uh, some of the games that are around at the time, uh, like... X-Men Legends 2 Rise of Apocalypse only because I have a Wayback Machine posted on the notes that's why I know that's on my head looks bad it's not great this looks unbelievable right like this is like PlayStation 5 graphics it's still I don't even know if we're there at this point like maybe the remake kind of looks like this but that's like years later 15 years later we're finally getting this in video games so to actually see uh, the, the the story on the big screen pretty cool right Absolutely. Okay, and just just as a comparison, this came out in the same year as some other movies. So, like, do you remember the Brothers Grimm and the CGI in that and how painful it was? That was a full-budget blockbuster movie, and that looked terrible. Aeon Flux has some cringe-inducing moments. I guess the best, like, and, like, King Kong, the... Peter Jackson one looks fantastic, but I mean, like that movie's budget was like way more than this, and that was yeah, it had yeah. So basically, it, it was double the budget, and it yeah. was like a Hollywood block blockbuster movie, and this looks just as good, like different art style. This is more anime, and they, that like King Kong's more like um, you know more realistic or whatever it is. But yeah, like I mean, and remember the Doom movie? That's also two thousand five. Like, do you remember? Yeah. yeah, remember, remember the the Dwayne the Rock Johnson's transformation scene in that CGI? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a yep. that's, that movie same same year. So there so, you go. Like, you compare Doom video game movie, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. Well, at least one you're like, 
looks really nice. It looks cool. So, anyways, Absolutely. what's your criticism of this film? Um, I, I don't like this movie. Doesn't work as a movie. It works as shorts, or to me, like I feel like this is not death battle. But remember, you know how like death battles, like uh, mm-hmm. just like a YouTube thing, and they're like, let's just see if these two characters fought. That's what they tried to do the movie, yeah. and then they're just like, let's piece it together with some script and some dialogue and maybe some character talking scenes. But I think, and I, I think I might be right right on this one. But if you just hit mute and you don't listen to any of the characters' dialogue, it's the same movie. Yeah. Yeah, like it doesn't you don't really add a lot. It doesn't yeah. add anything, but yet there's so much exposition. Where even if you just yeah. cut out those exposition scenes and just shorten the movie, I think you get the same experience. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's, that's not that's not a good thing for your movie. So no, no. Okay, and then finally a praise. We'll end on a positive note. So I mean, we were all asking for it, and they delivered. We wanted a new graphics for Final Fantasy VII because we didn't want to play the the old version. So they gave it to us in a movie. It's not a work of art. It's pretty, and it adds. It does add a chapter of Final Fantasy lore, right? Like we learned that there was these husks, uh, Sephiroth husks, roaming the world for some reason. And if combined with Genova, they could become Sephiroth. That's kind of the story of what happens with Kajil, how he becomes Sephiroth, which is like kind of neat, I guess. And like, there's a wolf. It was kind of neat. I did watch mm-hmm. the extended cut, so I wonder if I'm watching the theatrical cut and just that extra, that less thirty minutes, if I'd be like. Hmm, that is cleaner, you know? So I, I, I do wonder if maybe I watched the bad version. Yeah, it's one of those times where it's, like, it's tough. Like, you know, um, which I know some people are like, what's what's the correct um, two, uh, two towers to watch? The one that's, like, 16 hours long or the one that's, like, three or four hours long? And yeah. there'll be some people that swear by that 16-hour cut and you're just like, dude, no. I, I have a life to live. Um, and I think that that's, this is a short story. We watch it for the action scenes. We watch it for the, the fun and the, and the, and the high, like the really high res CGI, like as, as a one big old cutscene in a, in a TV or a movie or a game, sorry. Um, yeah, this is fantastic. Like if this was a cutscene midway through crisis core or whatever, or like a, a game attached to it, it's like, this is, this is spectacular. Um, but that being said it is what it is it's like it's not it's not like a masterpiece but if yeah. you're a final fantasy 7 fan it's uh it's an expansion to the universe it's like a side story and i think it kind of gives you makes your mind wonder a little bit about some other things because they kind of expand on some areas but don't fully answer others and yeah. i like that yeah no so. uh, yeah and i agree though that is kind of a neat part of it right so it's it's, it's fun if you had to, no, let's do an Are You Buying It? And then we can wrap up the review. Then we can answer my one random question I have. Ooh. Uh, look at cultural significance and then get out of here. So, an Are You Buying It? So, Denzel, the little orphan kid that for some reason is adopted by Clouded Tifa, is the main character of this movie? We witness his pain of losing his parents, finding Cloud, suffering through geostigma, being brainwashed, and he actually gets to stand up for himself to Bahamut. And then eventually just this little weird monster dog. Uh, he's the only character that gets any growth in this film. So is Denzel the main character? Uh, I think so. Because in the one cut that I watched, like, so Cloud just beats Sapiroth. And then I forget what the frick happens. A giant explosion happens. 
because well, so he beats them and he's like oh i won and then the two other guys not Kajal, but his two buddies show up and like shoot cloud absolutely that's what happens yeah yeah yeah. and, and then then there's, there's a... explosion but then Aerith catches him and he's like oh you're gonna be okay and they wake up in the church yes yeah and essentially it's almost shown from denzel's perspective where like they see almost like where cloud was standing and then like the big boom explosion of the two other brothers attacking cloud and then they're like oh no i hope cloud's okay let's go to the church and then they just start running all happily down to the church and it's like wait what um And then, you know, it's like, oh, no, the water in the church is healing. Ares is healing everyone. And you're like, this feels shoehorned in. And that's where, like, I started to notice, like, oh, yeah, this, that scene of them, like, having to, like, oh, Cloud just blew up. Let's run to the church. It's like, that didn't happen. That, none of this happens. This doesn't happen in the original cut. Like, essentially, it's like he beats Sapphire off, and then he's off on his own, and, like, everybody's just magically cured of the actual thing. They don't really like well, bring Eris into it very much. I think. Yeah. It, it rains, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then it's like, and that washed away the geo stigma from everything. Blah, 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 yeah. blah, 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 blah. And it's like, oh, okay, I get it. So they're just kind of like shoehorning in it. And that was, I think the original cut I watched. And then, so to see the scene where them in the church and like, we knew if we just said, go to Eris said, just go to the church and we knew he'd find you here. We found you. It's like, yeah. Ugh, ugh, ugh. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. Okay. Um, here, okay. I, have a, I also have a theory. All so, right. in Final Fantasy VII, we see those clouded figures like around Nibelheim or whatever, and they're yep. like committing suicide. Are the three brothers in this part of that? Are they part uh, of the clouded figures that are still wandering the earth, and they're just like the remnants of like the Genova Sapiroff kind of cult thing? Mm, interesting. Uh, yes. Right. So you're saying of the people that we like see at the Northern Crater, are they, do they just like hang out there with Sephiroth and kind of wait? Probably. You're 100% right. They probably were the weird husks of the puppets. Because at one point he's like, ah, you're just a puppet. He's like, at some point you were too. Like you followed all the puppets to the crater. Yeah, exactly. And they're just like in a cloak. Kind of like, you know, in Kingdom Hearts, there's like the... Whatever, like organization, squad. yeah, it, exactly, yeah, yeah, and they're all just like they basically just hang around in cloaks all the time. Like I feel like that's just who these guys are, and then uh, because they kind of get awakened, and that was my theory going into this, and it's like yeah, so these husks, these puppets show up at the crater, and then they basically just live there, yeah, and then they're like decommissioned, and they basically just like lay there for two years until Sephiroth awakens them and says, "Go do my biddings." Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of my oh, theory. That is so much more interesting than the movie I saw. Why didn't they talk about that? I don't know. But see what happens when you're actually a fan of the game and then you would uh, have the potential to have worked on something like this? Yeah. You actually add good context. I'm telling mm-hmm. you. Would that not have been better? And that was my theory going into this because they're always like walk around in like, cloaks and everything. They feel kind of culty. It's like, but explore that. That is a really interesting thing. Like... Give yeah. me more of that, like, like, ugh. and explain yeah. like why they think they're brothers because they're we're all part of this like that same thing. You were a husk like us, like. Ugh, there's something there, but they don't want to yeah. give it to us. Okay, nice. And then fi- I guess we, I guess we could do if we wanted. I, I'm not saying we have to, but we could do our Babe Hall of Fame. Is Tifa or Aerith the CGI version in our C- Babe Hall of Fame? So now I'm harkening back to like pubescent. Uh, 
Mick and Tyson playing this game who probably were in love with Tifa Lockhart. Do you want to put the CGI girl into a Babe Hall of Fame? Hmm. Yuffie as well. I guess we could include Yuffie. Yeah, She's yeah. maybe almost of age at this point. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we've seen, we've grown up with Yuffie because what, when we, in Crisis Core, we met her when she was a kid and then teenager in Final Fantasy VII and this is six years or four years. It's a long time. Yep. Like it is a while after Final Fantasy seven. Um, two years. This is two, two years. years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So she's basically like 18 or 19 or whatever it is. I don't know. See, I like Tifa was always like my, my crush when I was in uh, high school and, and stuff. Cause I remember I grew up with that. So I don't know. Maybe I feel like I should just so to honor like that memory of like you were my childhood, like childhood crush when I was a kid. So yeah, maybe I, I, exactly. I'm gonna vote for her too because yeah, she was like like the dream woman of every young boy in the '90s, early 2000s. Like that's the hottest video game character. So I'm gonna say yes to that. Not as and I do believe she's like more attractive than actual real life women. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. She she was okay. our she was our like childhood crush. You know, you got yeah. that goofy thing that you're like that girl. I always liked who wore glasses and had paint on her overalls. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay, uh, so before we dive into our cultural significance, which essentially ties a bow on this whole retrospective, one question. If you were to play and recommend listeners, someone's going back and listening to this, never experienced Final Fantasy VII before, what of the different media? So we've got Crisis Core, Dirge of Cerberus, Advent Children, and the original game, I guess even the remake. What would you, where would you tell people, what would you tell people are must plays in the series for any fan, especially if you haven't experienced it, so... So myself, I think you have to go Final Fantasy, the original game. You have of to play course. through the original game. Play, the, play yeah. the modded versions. You can like skip the battles. You can have uh, infinite health. It makes it more manageable, especially today. Yeah, Other than and I that, think there's even a Steam version, and even with like slightly upgraded graphics, uh-huh. where like better textures. Yeah, totally. So like, if you want to play it on a console, like I know it's on Xbox, PlayStation, um, Switch steam like it's on every system and you you have access to the good version where you can just like there's no grinding it's just like you can breeze through this game and with two times speed like seriously without without trying to like grind out the side quests or trying to like get all the like defeat all the weapons if you're just doing the bare minimum like this game is really fast um it has a great pace to it so yeah you definitely need to play through the original okay so you need to play through that so now we have three other kind of supplemental parts of this we've got a movie and two games would you recommend now that we've, we've experienced the whole thing as kind of a whole would you recommend any of those three experiences um crisis core if it was more available i say yes um okay because it's it's a fun it's you know it's fun like i think it's it's a little bit monotonous if you want to grind out all the side quests but you don't like again you don't need to no it's there do, if you want to have do, fun what do we do but, like 20 percent, and that we like overpowered right so mm-hmm. oh totally yeah. and I, it's it's fun like i think it like this the f- first half of that we really liked it and then like that last like eighth or third or whatever it was like yeah. it wasn't so strong but i think sets up the world so if you like the final fantasy 7 yeah absolutely like you should expand like that's the next one you dive into um is crisis core for sure and then i i kind of get tossed on the fence where it's like are you a big fan of the characters and like the story of Final Fantasy VII? 
if so do don't watch because you're not going to get more story you're not going to get yeah. more character development but if you just want to kind of turn your brain off and sit a little bit longer in the world um i would recommend advent children it's not a think piece but it's a like the atmosphere they create the world that some of the action scenes it's it's it's, it's past it's watchable like i mean i'd watch the shorter version not the expanded version and i would just go from there um and then Dirge of Cerberus, I think, is a pass because you don't really get anything out of it yeah. unless you unless Vincent's your favorite character. Yeah, so. nice. Yeah, that's myself. I'm looking. Uh, I'm going to say no to Dirge of Cerberus. Definitely have to play the original game. I think that's just an, a foregone conclusion. I'm also going to skip on Crisis Core. I'm, I'm going to say watch it. Watch the hour-long version of just Advent Children after you're done Final Fantasy VII, and I think you're good. Like, I think that would be an enjoyable experience. You don't need to dive into the other stuff or play, like, the first half of Crisis Core up until the Sephiroth fight and then watch, like, the final cutscene and you're probably good. Yeah, yeah. Up until the Sephiroth fight, then, then you're basically... Because then that's like, that's, like, the story that you kind of need to dig into to try to, f- like, fully understand Zack in Final Fantasy VII. Because they don't really, like... Yeah. He's so missable, like just like those, like some of the, that that background information, is just so missable. It's nice to be able to kind of like dive into it. So for me, it was like I always kind of wondered about that that stuff. So Crisis Core is yeah. a must for me. But if you don't really, if you're not too concerned, or you got everything you wanted out of the uh, Final Fantasy VII story for Zach, and you understand what he's about, you don't really care. It's, it's skippable. I skipped it when I was a kid, and I don't regret yeah. it. So. Uh, one of the cute things too is the Zack and Aerith model from this movie are also seen in Crisis Core pretty prominently, right? So it's kind of like, oh yeah, my friend. So and maybe you should pair them together as kind of the extra supplementary because you're like, oh, that's kind of neat, sweet. Yep, yep. But okay. definitely, it's it's funny how we both skip the Dirge of Cerberus. It doesn't really expand uh, much. Just... Although, so I was watching the extras on the DVD because I was like, oh, cool. What else do they have? And they kind of talked about like how this movie got made, and it started out as a short. And it was received with such positive criticism or positive reviews that they were like, oh, you have to make this into a movie. And Square forced them to make the short into a movie. So it was kind of one of those things where they had a very simple thing in mind and they were kind of forced to make it into a film. Anyways, the gameplay for Dirge Cerberus was he used melee attacks a lot more to like stun enemies and like deflect bullets and missiles and stuff. And I was like, is that how you're supposed to play that game? Like, you're not supposed to be a bullet sponge? And I was like, is there a counter system? But anyways, let's look at our final cultural significance. Then we can wrap up this year end or this retrospective for the year. It's pretty exciting stuff. So as we conclude our year of Final Fantasy VII, we should look, reflect back on our journey. I think we did. We experienced one of the finest first great video game narratives and watched as the franchise slowly milked it dry it is fitting that we end the year watching the movie uh that has spawned from this game series so movies have always been there there's always like movies that are based on books or plays or comics or real life experiences and it's only natural that there's a desire to recreate the magic of the world in a video game on the big screen and we experienced some of the best and the worst on the podcast so how fitting is it that one of the very first great game narratives we saw go to the big screen that had absolutely no narrative whatsoever so i thought that was just kind of ironic and cute and should be mentioned yeah absolutely and i think that this showed 
a lot of people because it it didn't turn a huge profit. I'm sure it made some oh, money. It but, was a bomb. Yeah. yeah, no, it was a bomb. It 85 yeah. million for 130 or whatever it was. Like that's not good. Yeah, no, it's real bad. Um, so it's one of those things where it showed people it's like maybe just because you have the rights to making a movie doesn't mean that you should make that movie. Maybe yes. you should work on the content of that. So I think that this was the trend towards um, video game movies improving, and and that is very good, even though yeah. we had to deal with some stinkers along the way. Very, very true. So nice. Now that that is done, it's exciting stuff. Have we ever told people... To, to, like if you're a listener of the show do you know that we're doing ocarina of time or like Z- zelda 64 next year is that is that known uh, no i don't think we told anyone yet no i think, okay. think we've been kind of keeping it kind of hush hush well um, since it's christmas also i didn't mention this is probably coming out on christmas so happy merry christmas everyone <laughs> oh, merry christmas uh but as a gift next year we're looking at the zelda 64 retrospective is kind of our little spin-off thing so we'll see how that goes hopefully you enjoyed uh our final fantasy 7 experience i know my, for myself i thought it was great uh loved going back to this it was very timely too we must have known that this was like coming out because of the remake eh? yeah well yeah, yeah. i think that was the whole thought to it and we were going to slowly work our way into it because it's a we've, we've rushed through a lot of games in the past and we really wanted to take our time and enjoy this one because this one's a special one in our heart. And I, I, I oh, yeah. feel like sometimes um, because the the quantity of games we used to have to cover, we ended up just kind of not in, sitting, being able to sit down and just enjoy these games. And sometimes you're like, no, I need to get to X. So I'm on schedule. Um, and I think taking our time and enjoying it gave us an, a nice opportunity to reflect on the on the little steps of the game. And I think that us, I just remember us uh, going through and just enjoying like, wow, that it's like a fast beat, then a slow beat, then a fast beat, then a slow beat. Like we were almost, we got to go into a really deep analysis of a, of a video game and franchise that we love. And I think that basically because of this like franchise, we became the video game addicts that we are. So, Oh, hundred percent. And I mean, going back and listening to our, not list, uh, but like, watch, listen to our first three parts. I think they're done expertly. Yeah, they, they kind of get like bloated and a little like little sluggish towards the end. But if you go back and listen to just the retrospective episodes, first three episodes, like great, great kid criticisms. We're on the ball. We know everything. It's good times. Sorry, right. I mean it, it's unfortunate we had to end with Dirge of Cerberus and Advent Children, but it is what it is, you know. Such is life. That's it. That's it. Cool. Ah, uh, so with that, I think that's it. Wraps yeah. a nice little bow. Um, James Bond. Merry Chris- yeah, James Bond. Merry Christmas. Zelda Happy next holidays. year. So that's pretty exciting. Absolutely. And it'll be yeah. very uh, fun. So hopefully now you guys know that Zelda's coming. Send us uh, send us some of your favorite parts from the Zelda series. And we can uh, discuss them on air. Maybe it'll give us some inspiration to add some content. I don't know how I feel about a Nintendo podcast. As we claim to be doing a whole retrospective on actual Nintendo games rather than looking at Star Wars movies and Final Fantasy VII. So, I don't know if I like this. I have a complaint. Yeah, yeah, we've got to get back to the movies. I'll squeeze those yeah. in. Don't worry, listeners. I'll, I'll save us. All right, good. As soon as we get to 007 Goldeneye, it'll just turn into a James Bond podcast. So, Tyson won't shut up about it. 
spoilers, spoilers. Sweet. So with that, uh, bid you adieu. Talk to you uh, just in a little couple days. We do have a year-end wrap-up coming up. But see you then. Bye, guys. Bye.